Think about all of the thousands of businesses that exist that say they want to do something. Uh, you know, they say, oh, we're going to give 1% or 10% of net profits away. There's no real way to validate that any of that happens. That's right. Until, you know, unless they file for bankruptcy or they go IPO or whatever it is. And so I thought, why doesn't something like this exist in the direct consumer world or for brands that are doing sub a billion dollars in revenue? You know, I should be able to, if I go buy mascara, I don't buy mascara, but if I bought mascara from Rare Beauty, I should be able to take that Shopify receipt or that Sephora receipt, upload it into this app and get, you know, 25 cents. And when I get a dollar, then I can donate that to give a family 13 days of water in Africa and see that impact happening. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Get paid monthly and take a year off from running your Shopify business with OpenStore Drive. OpenStore's experts will handle everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than 500K in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. All right, Moise, we've got episode three, season six. It's our second in-person episode. First one was kind of weird because people were, there was 40 people, 80 eyeballs staring at us, blinking right. yes. straight out of a cartoon. Yeah. But I'm excited for this episode. Um, I've prepared some fun topics to go through. So Moise, in this episode, uh, we've got some interesting resources for people. We're going to cover show fields, whether it's worth doing it and a checklist that founders can use to evaluate if opportunities like Showfields come up. We'll give you a site that I, a URL that I made to protect you from Google's pricing transparency update. We're going to discuss one thing that a brand did not do that they should have done at launch that would have made them a lot of money up front, but they didn't do. And I wrote out all the five things that they need to be doing. So that's at the end of the episode. Can't wait for that. All right. So the first one, it's actually an idea. I'm curious about your thoughts here. It's a charitable focused idea. And I was inspired by, I went to the Main Street Summit uh, a couple weeks ago and I saw this guy named Scott talk about his charity called Charity Water. Charity Water is really cool. They yeah. give 100% of the donation to building water wells around the world. And so I thought, you know, what can we do in our capitalistic world that, you know, creates some offspring to go and focus on charity? So I saw recently. I think it was like an aerosol can, and at the bottom it had it said box tops. Do you remember box tops? No. Okay, so box tops. It was weird that it, to me that it was on an aerosol can because box tops originated by General Mills in 1996. So when I was born, General Mills said, "We're gonna put." <laughs> I know you like that. When I was born, General Mills said, "We're gonna put, we're gonna put a little stamp, a rectangle on the top of a Lucky Charms box." You buy the box for four bucks of cereal. You cut out the top. Your kid takes it to school. The school can cash it in for a donation from General Mills. I've never even, didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. And I was born in 1984 and I ate more cereal than you did. I <laughs> yeah. Well, I, my mom never bought like General Mills cereal. It was always the, the one in like the organic aisle. So I never got this wow. opportunity, but I was always jealous of the kids who came in with their box tops tabs. So anyways, well, they sound like they had, like, you know, they were eating sugar and you were eating sure. the, the better yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, so definitely. So every cut of uh, this little rectangular mm -hmm. cut, you know, kid. Yeah, I know what you're talking bag. about. I, yeah. I remember seeing it now. Yeah, 10 cents was how much it was worth. 
And, um, you know, then I thought, okay, what about, do you, did you ever see that movie, uh, the Netflix docuseries of Pepsi when they had the rewards program? Yeah. I, I mean, we read Jeff? about that case in contracts law. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I thought like, what, what's the scenario here? Is that possible? But no, they cap it at 20 K. So 20 K a year is for what any school. school. Can get. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Tell that story about the Pepsi thing really quickly. Yeah. So Pepsi basically set up a, a genius rewards program back when nobody had a rewards program. And they basically said, for every, I think, was it a bottle cap? I or 12 pack cap. or like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd get some form of currency in yeah. your packaging. Pepsi points, yeah. You send it into Pepsi and they log how many Pepsi points you have and you can get, you know, it was really to drive uh, merch and kind of brand awareness. Yeah, and yeah. I had a Pepsi duffel bag from there. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I no loved way. it. It cost me 200 Pepsi points. I still remember it. Oh, that's amazing. In their commercial, some ad agency said, you know, if you get 35, I think it was 35 million or 17 million Pepsi points, we'll buy you a jet. Yeah. And um, there was no disclaimer. And it was a Harrier fighter jet, to be yeah. clear. Not just like an airplane, but like a military aircraft. Full military aircraft. Yeah. And one kid saw it and raised money from an investor to go get all of these things. They consulted with lawyers to make sure that from the ad it was allowed and they did it. And I think they ended up settling uh, after. Well, I, I, the, uh, the guy, he like sent in all the points and he said, send me the Harrier fighter jet. And Pepsi's like, that's a joke. And so he sued Pepsi and he's like, give me the Harrier fighter jet. And I'm almost certain it was this case in contracts law that we read. And uh, the judge was like, like a frog, when you dissect a joke, you kill it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the judge was like, okay, this is not required. You don't need to give the Harrier jet because otherwise you'd start, you could fight, you know, you'd have an army now all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, uh, this is aside. So tell me about the charity thing. Okay. So, so, okay. So they had this program for a while, right? You cut it out the top. Um, Campbell's had something similar called labels for education. In fact, I, I saw that a, a lot of other companies had something. So Pampers have something, has something called gifts to grow where P and G donates to charity. Coke has my Coke rewards where I think you can get some swag out of it, but yeah. most people donate it to schools or charity. Kellogg's has Kellogg's family rewards. You scan the receipt, it donates something to charity. Essentially it's a huge write-off as well as a big brand building yeah. scheme for these companies. Yeah. And uh, it, I like not, to use the word scheme. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of this, something else. This charity is it's a scheme. scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, was, initiative. Uh, initiative. Initiative is a better word. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's not classified as a business. Like if you ask a spokesperson, they don't say it's a business or a department of business. They say, And they don't say it as a charity. They say it's something kind of in between. So anyway, so, so in 2019, October 2019, Box Tops launched an app. And the app, the idea was we're going to stop getting people to cut these things out and take them manually. And then the school has to manually process it. We're just going to do it all through an app. And so the way they do it is you um, kind of like Ibotta, you, you buy the product, you scan your receipt, and then based on your receipt, you can allocate the school you want to send it to or whatever. The people who are buying this, their initial thought was, oh, these guys are invading our privacy, which is a wild thought to have, but it makes sense. Like if my mom was scanning her receipts, she'd probably have the same thought. And the donations dropped a ton. Like first they dropped by a third, then they dropped by 90%. And so wow. a school that was supposed to make, you know, 20 grand or $14,000 was now making a couple hundred bucks. Then I started thinking, okay, is there a company that exists? Like what if you were to buy Native and every time you bought Native, instead of Native on their site saying, you know, when you buy, we're going to donate 1% to charity or whatever. It's like in this case, if you buy native uh, or if you go to Sephora and buy a serum, 
you know, you get 25 cents put into an account in, in a universal app. So this app has to work across everything. And then you can decide where that money goes. And so there is one company called Fetch Rewards, but they only work with the Pepsis, the General Mills, the L'Oreal's, the Colgate's of the world. But think about all of the thousands of businesses that exist that say they want to do something. Uh, you know, they say, oh, we're going to give 1% or 10% of net profits away. There's no real way to validate that any of that happens. That's right. Until, you know, unless they file for bankruptcy or they go IPO or whatever it is. And so I thought, why doesn't something like this exist in the direct consumer world or for brands that are doing sub a billion dollars in revenue? You know, I should be able to, if I go buy mascara, I don't buy mascara, but if I bought mascara from Rare Beauty, I should be able to take that Shopify receipt or that Sephora receipt, upload it into this app and get, you know, 25 cents. And when I get a dollar, then I can donate that to give a family 13 days of water in Africa and see that impact happening. And one, it's sort of a way to make it easy for everybody to see that they're, that uh, the brand is actually doing something. Two, the consumers feel like, oh, you know, if I buy Rare Beauty over L'Oreal, maybe I'll get an extra three cents or an extra five cents. That makes me feel better as a customer. And also three, it just like, it, it's so easy to do. Like I'm, sh I'm shocked nobody has done this. And I thought the first, the easiest person that could probably do this overnight is probably the shop app. I like your idea for a couple reasons. Um, as a business, I like it because it's there's a real moat. Like yeah. you know, the moat is everybody uses us. Like you know, if you've got an app, right, and let's say, let's say it was called like you know Nick Sharma app, everyone uses Nick Sharma app across multiple brands, from Rare Beauty to Native to Quip to whoever is on Shopify to say, hey, look, your money is going to be earned on the Nick Sharma app. Go to the Nick Sharma app to like decide where you want to put it. So I, I I think the Nick Sharma app all of a sudden has a moat, which is only one business will have the network effects to make sure mm -hmm. that we aggregate it all. The thing I'm not sure about is uh, twofold. One is, um, does anyone, like, is the amount ever large enough? Is the amount ever large enough to really make a difference for the rare beauties of the world? Like, for instance, uh, if I was going to buy a L'Oreal makeup or uh, a rare beauty makeup, I wouldn't be like, oh, well, I'm going to get three cents or like 10 cents or maybe even 50 cents to go donate to somebody because generally the AOV is $80. Like, I'm not mm. thinking about 50 cents. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I'm a little cautious about whether brands would adopt it because I'm not sure if brands would be like, yes, consumers care about this. Yeah. And then I also think the other worry would be then where does Nick Sharma app donate money to right now? Yeah. Like if it's only charity water, great. But if I have the right to choose between. Yeah, I think you should be able to choose. Yeah. But okay. So right now there could be people who are like, I think this charity is supporting bad. Like, you know, well, I don't know if that, that like, you know, you're probably right. You could probably say Salvation Army or like a bunch yeah, of yeah. safe charities where you're like, I'm not worried about people being like, you're supporting people that I don't like. Yeah. I think on the charity side, you would have to make sure that it's it's properly mm -hmm. independently mm -hmm. vetted and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. On the brand side, there's got to be some sort of an advantage of, hey, you've got to figure out how to write off you know, $5 million. Well, we'll help you do that by offsetting some of the purchases or yeah. you know, we can go from 10 cents to you know, a dollar. So every time you spend 80, a customer spends 80 bucks, we'll take a dollar from that and deduct that for you. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is you could all of a sudden run sales in this way too. Yeah. You could be like, hey, this weekend, if you purchase, we're going to donate 5% instead of just 1%. In fact, those sales do really well. Like uh, if you've ever run a sale using like a shopping gives or a gives, Never. which is like a shopper. <laughs> <laughs> but you can say like, instead of running 20% off this weekend, 
we're going to donate, we're gonna donate a, you know, five bucks or we're going to donate a meal for every, everything you buy, or we're going to donate X for every time you, you buy something. And those sales do, I would say almost just as well as if a customer is getting a discount. That's interesting. Let me ask you one weird question for like box top. You mentioned that like nobody wants to scan their receipt. Yeah. Even though it's a lot easier scanning a receipt than it is to clip out this thing and have your eight-year-old son go take this to his teacher and remember to do that and not lose it across along the way. Is it better, like this is, uh, you know, a little gross, but is it better for Kellogg to be like, okay, great, redemptions have fallen by 90%. You know, what we're not going to do is we, we just save a lot of money and we still get the credit for doing box tops. I think the motive also on, on the Kellogg's and the General Mill side is, oh, we can actually see what are people buying or what is moving or what is driving stuff yeah. through in the stores yeah, yeah. that we are sitting next to. Or maybe even like, you know, if, if, if you're selling cereal, General Mills says, well, who are we losing to in the nutrition bar category? They can yeah, see. Sure, that. sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I do like the idea. And I, I do think that like it has network effects, which I yeah. love. It's good. So like, because, you know, usually I think that Almost all of these software written for Shopify apps, I think that some guy in India should be cloning and charging 10% the price and killing the market. Like Clavio, I think Clavio says they have, you know, 20,000 customers that are over $15,000 a year. Why is there like, you know, I know Jimmy's doing this or maybe Clavio is not a good example, but like, you know, there's a duplicate this order app that costs you, you know, yeah. a certain amount. Why isn't some guy in India copying this app and charging $10 a month for it? Yeah. All of the review apps copy all like, you know, offer reviews, $10 a month. You know what? Every single new Shopify business is going to use you instead of Yapo or Kendo or anybody. Yeah. Um, and so I think that like all of like, there are very few network effects when it comes to software in the e-commerce space. And so I think every, some guy in India should own all the apps. This is one that has genuine network effects where you got to go out to brands and say, Hey, we're going to do a good job. You're going to get more sales from us. Yeah. You're going to put a little badge at the bottom. It's almost like that cruelty free bunny, right? Yeah. Everyone recognize it as this is exactly. legit. That is that, that's exactly what is. the thought I had too, yeah. was like in that business of the labels that we've talked about before, like the kosher label, it's all paid yeah. for the gluten-free label that's sure. paid for. Uh, this is another label you can put on, you know, it's like having at your 7-Eleven store, it says clean air inside, you know, it's just like <laughs> yeah, another sure. label yeah, you yeah. put on. Uh, well, I like the business. I, I think you're right uh, that, or I think that it does take a little bit of like time to get those businesses on board. Yeah. But I do like the idea of like, okay, now I bought with this guy, I can go over here and spend my money totally. for the shop app. Like, you know, whenever I buy, they say you're about to get one percent back. Where does that money go? I never see it. It's in the app it's just or something. In the balance, yeah. And you plant trees, which I feel like you could. I, I wish you could change that. You know, I'd rather put water. Uh, I'd I'd rather contribute to building a well in Africa than plant another tree. Wait, the, when it says you get 1% cash, when it says 1% back, uh, do I get the cash or it goes towards water or something? No, no, no. You get the cash okay. and then, uh, but you That's know, right. I think they're making two, 2.9 or, or whatever their split with Stripe yeah, is. Gotcha, so yeah. some percentage of that goes toward, it's probably one tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's there, there is a Shopify app that's like, we plant trees somewhere. Like, you know, you can use yeah. it and for every dollar in sales or I don't know, every order you get, they plant a tree. And so they're like, you know, we've planted millions of trees. But again, like the, the thing is, uh, some guy in India could do the same thing for yeah. you know 10 cents totally uh and that's why i like this app because there's network effects yeah agreed um okay what's the next thing on your okay. uh, next one is um show fields have you seen the show field store in noho yeah been there yeah, yeah it's right next to like the lafayette mall like next yeah. to that equinox on bond right yeah yep. yeah okay so show fields for the longest time has had that retail spot i think maybe since i moved to new york like four years ago they were there i always thought it was a strange business like it's like 
you walk in and it's all these brands have basically like six by eight or four by five rooms, four, four by five foot rooms where they just sort of like spend a bunch of money and kind of deck it out for that little custom space. And, um, you know, back when I had a friend working at Swell, she said that they paid something like $30,000 a month to be in there. Are they crazy? Yeah. And this was when everybody was paying that rate. And so there was, I mean, like eight sleep was there, but they used it for the purpose that they were raising money and investors could come and touch the bed. $30,000 a month. Yeah. Farmer's dog was this there. is why so many e-commerce businesses are going out of business. Think, are you guys crazy? How about some financial <laughs> responsibility? But okay, yeah. tell me what you're gonna say. I think everybody had different rates though, because everybody I asked had different rates. This article I read this morning said that they got they paid 20k for six months, but it was always this weird concept of instead of you paying for a pop-up shop, we will take on everything that needs to be. And you just come in for, you know, three months at a time, four months at a yeah. time. You can host an event on the roof, which like kind of a weird idea. But anyways. And one of the other things they said at Showfields was, don't think that the sales from this store are like, you know, it's a branding thing. You know, don't, yes. you know, they weren't like, yes. okay, you're, this, this store costs you $5,000 a month. You should expect $10,000 in revenue and $5,000 in profits. So it'll be break even like, you know, 5,000, you sold $10,000 worth of eight sleep mattresses. You made 5,000, our rent's 5,000. You're good. Yep. They were like, don't think of it that way. Think of it in the way of like, this is good for your brain. Like, you know, whatever marketing talk, I don't even know the language, the words that they use. I've never, I like, you I know, have it. if someone says that to me, I'm like, I don't speak this language. I'm yeah. illiterate in the, the language you're speaking. In fact, whenever they say those things, my blood boils. Cause I'm like, you're going to take my money, put it in your pocket and you're going to pretend like this is marketing. This is why we should go to war. Yeah. It's like, they're, speaking- I want to call it NYPD out here. <laughs> this guy's robbing me. They're, they're speaking some random village dialect in yeah, India. Yeah. And they say it with a smile. Yes. And they're like, you know, holding their hand out saying, gimme. What, what did they so say at Showfields? Basically, the founder says that Showfields is the intersection of retail media and performance-based retail. And the way that they justify that is they say, you pay us for a spot. We have all these cameras up above. We have all these trackers. We'll give you all the analytics of who's coming in, how much time is being spent in your little, you know, four Cubby. by five foot area. That was basically the sale. It was like, it's a brand marketing play. Well, I would say, look, uh, you know, if I were a brand, this is how I would think about it. One, I uh, like, you know, I can't afford this because yeah. it, it's not financially responsible. Actually, that's what I'd say. I'd say this isn't financially responsible. You know what Facebook says? They say, uh, you give us a dollar, we'll give you two. This guy's saying, hey, you give us a dollar, we'll give you 50 cents. So, you know, one of them is I like, one of them I don't like. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'd say is they don't have a big enough N or number of people walking into that store for me to give a shit about how, the number of people who are coming to look at like, you know, uh, yeah, by four, right. by four. What do they have? Twenty five thousand people coming in a day, or do they have a hundred people? And it doesn't yeah, matter. All thirty two people. Yeah, that yeah, that's by. right. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And three of them came in to use the bathroom. Three exactly. of them were came in to like steal stuff. Yeah, you know, like uh, the, the, uh, your analytics are useless. One hundred percent agree. Yeah. So I put together, you know, because I I I've had a lot of people who've asked me if Showfields if they should be in Showfields. They also then during the pandemic started doing this like live shopping thing and. Um, they used a portfolio company of mine as an example of a brand that was killing it. And when I asked the founder, he was like, we don't even work with them. Yeah. 
Um, so anyways, so I, I put together a quick checklist when it comes to opportunities like this that I think founders should go through because this is what goes through my head. So the first one is, is this cheaper than if I were to do this myself? So if I were to rent a space in the West Village, which costs maybe like 15, 20K yeah. and hire a small staff, is this cheaper than that? Which in this case, maybe break even or maybe equal, but I think the West Village might still be cheaper because you own all of the space versus, you know, five feet by five feet. I think, okay, yeah, go ahead. What are the other questions? The second one is, what is my estimated cost of customer acquisition? Cost of customer, yeah. So how for all the people that are going to come through, the total number that I spend divided by how many new customers am I going to get out of here, or even just orders in general, Yeah. what is that number estimated to be? Infinite, because it's not that, a number. It's a zero. You're yeah, going to get zero, zero people yeah, yeah. at the bottom. Whatever, if it's one divided by zero, that's not a number. Yeah. And so so if you can't, if they can't give you an estimate, yeah. it's a red flag. Yes. The next one is, um, you know, are people that are coming into this space actually here to see my product? Or are they here for something else, but I'm still paying for their eyeballs to walk in? Good question. The next one after that is, if this is a shared pop-up, which it is, what is the reason that people are coming? Are they coming because there's one brand they want to see, in which case they have no interest in seeing what I have? Are they coming because there's an event there that aligns with the audience that I'm going after, in which case maybe there's something there. But there's this thing, there's a retail strategy called Destination Synergy, which is like, you know, when you see SoulCycle pop up, you see uh, Sprouts pop up, you see uh, Sweetgreen pop up. That's what Destination Synergy is. These guys had almost none of that. They had a tattoo company next to a dog food company, next to a water bottle company, sort of all over the place. I thought the only people walking in there were like D2C people already. like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> or like, who's tourists. wasting money over here? Yeah. Uh, next one I have is, you know, what do I get from this from a content standpoint? So if I'm not getting anything, yeah, yeah. is there anything I can do content wise yeah. or with the physical area? Like Great question. Eight Sleep, for example, they raised money because they had investors come feel the bed, lie on it, et cetera. And then the last thing, is this going to drive any revenue? And if so, then what is the evidence that supports that? If there's no evidence to support that upon signing, then there's no reason to go ahead and move forward with the deal. Yeah. Um, I, I, let me say two things about this. One yeah. is, I think one of the questions, like, you know, you, I know your first question isn't dispositive, but what I would say is there's some element to, um, you know, can I do this cheaper myself? And also, is it like worth doing it myself? For sure. So for instance, like, yes, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for a 3PL because I don't want to manage, did 30 people show up to pack packages this yeah. morning? Like that, that I'm in a different business than I am right now. For sure. Um, the other thing I'd say is, does this mean neighborhood goods is going to go out of business? Like, what do you think about neighborhood oh goods? Oh my God, that's another one. I I mean, I love the store. Yeah. Every time I go to Austin, I love going in. Where is it? Um, it's right next to the Equinox and the South Con- okay, like gotcha. Soho House yeah, area. Yeah. But that's another one where everybody I've known who's gone into neighborhood goods, it's average or below average in terms of sell-through. It just exists there. And it's like it's like what we were talking about in the last episode. If you see the name, you might remember it or it might make you want to buy that body wash or that collared t-shirt. Yeah. But I don't, th- I've never seen anybody go in there and buy product and walk out. Usually people go in there, they tour around, they started, they built out a full cafe in the Austin one. Cause I think, and the New York one here in Chelsea market. Cause I think they realized that's where they're going to make their money. But I think they'd probably also go out of business. They ra- they both raised a ton of money. How, oh, really? How much, do you have any idea how much they raised? Well, I know that um, Showfields owes about $10 million. They filed for bankruptcy. The interesting piece was like, I looked into who do they owe money to. Uh, you have the, the obvious ones like Amex, 
or um, you know the property manager. Yeah. But the other interesting ones was like a huge one was talent recruitment, probably for all the part part time workers. So they were probably paying them like a PEO. And the other interesting one was uh, BFA, which is like you know all those event photographers at the bottom right, it either says like Getty or yeah, BFA yeah. is those guys. So they would throw events and have these photographers come try to make the place look cool. Yeah. I remember when I tried to like neighborhood goods was trying to work with native and they reached out to me and they said the contract and it was so onerous. And I was like this provision, I, I hate you guys for offering this provision. I'll only do it, but you have, to, I forgot what the provision was. If someone sends me the contract, do you DM me your contract? I'll remember what I'll look through and see what it was. And I was like, I won't agree to it. In fact, I want you to agree that you're going to have to do it instead of me. And they're like, how about we take it out? I was like, no, for spite, you have to agree to do it now. Yeah. And they're like, we can't agree to that. I was like, I know because it's fucking outrageous that you asked me to agree to it. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. The reality is I think all those businesses were actually good ideas in 2019 or 2018 yeah. or 2017 because we didn't know what direction e-commerce was going and new brands were going. Were they going into regular brick and mortar stores? Were they going into like the targets of the world? Were they going to create their own pop-ups like the Warby Parkers and Allbirds of the store of the world? Or did they need a mix of those two where they're like, we are not responsible for this, but we get a brand presence. Maybe there'll be some sell-through. This will grow our brand and we're going to take... This this will help us get the business to the next level. The reality is I think that those like the neighborhood goods and showfield stores never had the traction to be able to take your brand anywhere and they failed in and of themselves. And I think they were bad businesses as a result of that. But I also think that like, you know, businesses generally realize like the, the consumer businesses themselves realized if we're going to go into stores, we either need to focus on it like Allbirds does and Warby Parker does, or we need to let somebody else focus on it like Native does and Harry's does and say, we're going to go into a big box retailer. The hybrid of those two, which is like the show feels or neighborhood goods never got you anything. And I think in part that's because the consumer brands didn't ever focus on it, on it. And I think that's in part because neighborhood goods wasn't like, we're going to build out 75 of these. We're going to drive a ton of traffic in them somewhere or another. They were just sort of like, here's a store. Hopefully we can charge you a lot. And maybe that's a good business model. And that looked like in 2017, we didn't know if that was a good business model. I think in 2023, we know that's not a good business model. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the other thing they did was, um, like I, I'm never happy for somebody's business to shut down or sure. for bankruptcy. Sure. But what they did is they they tried to play the lazy game and they said, you know, instead of us making our money by properly building foot traffic and getting people in the door, we're going to scam founders who are too novice to the game to realize that this is a bad investment. And that's how we're going to capitalize and make money off of that. I mean, so many founders got, I mean, $20,000 a month or $30,000 a month bananas. is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, bananas. And you're right. Like, you know, show me what you're going to do in the store. Like have a yeah. club, you know, have a brand representative sitting there being like, let me tell you why Swell's awesome or Eight Sleep is awesome. Exactly. Sell stuff, you know, make like, you know, move, have some velocity. Showrooms are worth not, like, you know, this, this isn't a car dealership. I don't need a showroom. I need velocity. Yeah. And um, they didn't focus on that. I think that was wrong. And I think... You know, I would have had a lot more respect and a lot more excitement of those things, if uh, of these places, if they're like, "Look, we're turning this into a convenience store. You want like, you know, an eight sleep mattress? It's right here for you know. You want to discover new brands? It's right here. We're getting velocity and we're throwing events. We're thinking about it that way. They were sort of like, we just made this room look beautiful. Yeah, take some Instagram. Photos. I think Erwan is a good comp of you know. We're That's gonna right. bring a ton of new brands. Oh we're gonna God. find the best companies. Yes. We're gonna bring them in. We're gonna create an experience for customers. 
Whereas these guys were almost like, we want to be the star. Like yes. we want Showfields to be the star. Yes. And you brands are a part of it. Whereas Erwan said, we're going to do everything to make you brands the stars. And we're going to do everything we can to bring customers in the door. Yeah. And we're going to have a ton of velocity. Like, yeah. you know, you want to try a new beverage. Erwan has every new beverage I've ever seen. In fact, yeah. that's where I go to discover beverages and I will buy that beverage because I'm already buying their hot food stuff. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a great uh, comparison that I had not thought of, which is Erwan is show feels and neighborhood goods, but a successful version. Exactly. Genuine velocity, genuine customers and new customer acquisition and new eyeballs and sales. People are swiping credit cards, buying stuff. Yeah. They did it the hard way and uh, their business is going to last. Yeah. It's incredible business. Want to take time off from running your current Shopify business to build your next Shopify business? When you join OpenStore Drive, you can take 12 months off to pursue other ventures while still getting paid. You'll receive guaranteed monthly payments for a year, and OpenStore will manage everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than $500,000 in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. Okay, next thing I want to talk about is uh, Google pricing transparency. Yeah. Do you know Caleb? He owns Haven, the backpack yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Caleb tweeted about this a couple weeks ago. And um, essentially, it's like what Google's trying to do is they said, okay, you go to Amazon and you click something. Amazon tells you if it's a good price for that product or if the price has come down. You can set pricing alerts. Honey now does the same thing as well. You go to Amazon and it tells you it's a good, it'll say like, oh yeah, it'll lowest like price lowest in 30 price. days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you go to Honey, it'll tell you the same thing. Yeah. Google's now going to start doing the same thing where, you know, let's say you run a sale on Haven. Haven runs a 40% off sale. You go to the to uh, Google Shopping or you maybe search it. It's going to say, oh, this price was recently, this bag was recently 40% off. Now it's, you know, X percent more than what it just was. And uh, that is their new terrible <laughs> yeah their new initiative for pricing transparency. Great for customers. Like as a consumer, I'm yeah. gonna look for that. Yeah. As a brand, that's pretty fucked up. You know, like that can that will hurt a lot of businesses, especially in Q3, Q4, or around you know Valentine's Day or yeah. you know spring or Labor yeah, Day, yeah, all yeah. these things. Do I have to update my prices in Google Shopping for them to recognize that? For instance, if I'm running a Black Friday sale and I don't update my price on Google Shopping, Google doesn't know. I think they're still going to get it. They're going through the emails that I'm yeah. sending out through like Gmail. The and emails like, saw or it. I think just the script on your site. Fuck. So there is a way to opt out. You can opt out as a brand. And uh, it's a very long, very randomized Google form URL. But I made a uh, shortcut for it. So anybody can go to nick.co slash price. D's nuts <laughs> price D E E Z nuts. And, uh, it's a Google form. You fill out, you put your merchant ID, your store URL, and they will completely omit your pricing transparency from the catalog of all the pricing that they do. I think there's a, l a larger conversation that we we're going to have in the next six months about this. One of the reasons the FTC is suing Amazon and one of the places I think they actually might win is let's say you're selling deodorant, it's $12, and they see you're selling it for $11 at Target, they will hide the buy box and say, available from other retailers and make it really difficult for you to buy the product on Amazon. And your sales will drop 95% overnight. Mm -hmm. And because Amazon's like, if we can find a cheaper price online where we, when we scrape your uh, other sites, we will not make it very easy to sell this product. 
And the FTC is like, this is bad for consumers. And like, actually, I think it's probably great for consumers, but terrible for brands. Because you're like, if I sell it cheaper at Target.com, I'll lose all my Amazon sales. So I can't do that. And so you never make it cheaper on Amazon or on Target.com. I think the FTC has a decent chance of winning that part of their lawsuit against Amazon, which will affect price transparency. Because I think you'll be able to have different prices on different websites than like Target.com and Amazon.com will have different prices. And I don't know what that will mean, but I do believe that like there's a larger question about what happens with prices here. That is very scary if Google would look at emails or scrape your site and say, I see that you're offering, there's a red bar at the top or a blue bar at the top that says, save 40% using code you know, native on Black Friday. We used to have the same issue at Hint. Like during the summer, Hint uh, inside Target you know, doesn't sell in cases. You can buy an individual bottle yeah. and you can buy 10 bottles for $10. Yeah. It's basically a dollar a bottle. Yeah in the summer and then Amazon would price match that. So we would see subscriber numbers would go down as soon as the summer started because you could get a case for $12 on Amazon versus $16 on subscription. And then at the end of summer, our subscribers would come back because it's the, the better place for them to shop. But what's interesting is they don't pull, Amazon does not price match Costco. That is really interesting. And I think that they couldn't. Yeah, because Costco has like rules internally where they're like, we can only make a certain margin on any given product. Right. If they're like, if we have a Kirkland product, I don't know what the percentages are, but I'm going to make them up. Like they're like, we can only make 20% on a Kirkland pro uh, branded product and only like, you know, 10% or 15% on a other branded product, non Kirkland branded product. Yeah. And so they're like, you know, if you try and price match them, the entire world will be at war. Like, you know, <laughs> like. Uh, in fact, uh, the real strategy is don't ever get into, like almost everyone who gets into Costco has to make unique SKUs to ensure that like Amazon and Target and Walmart don't go to war with you in Costco because yeah. Costco will say, uh, you know, we're selling one deodorant for $7 and you're like, fuck, well now Walmart is going to do that. So then you have to be like, I have to sell four pack in Costco and I have to make right. a special packaging. So it's four for, you know, $28. So Walmart's like, okay, we, I guess we don't price match a four pack because we don't have a four pack. Right. That makes um, sense. So it is really difficult that once you start thinking that way, it's really difficult. That price transparency is scary. Cause yeah, I guess I'm like right after black Friday, like January, you're yeah, going to be like, everybody's going to see, yeah. oh, you just, you know, you're overpaying you just by 50%. Yeah. You know, we're just a little bit before Black Friday. Do you think people have stopped shopping waiting for Black Friday now? I think generally a lot of people have slowed down yeah. their shopping. I, I Even me personally, like yeah. I've kind of slowed down shopping. Yeah. I'm mean, not that I'm a big shopper, but yeah. if I, if there's something I want, like, you, you know, think, instead of going like, to buy an aloe yeah. shirt today, I'm just going to wait. wait two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that price transparency is really scary. I would imagine that Google's probably, I think Google will not get those sales unless you update Google Shopping, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah. You know what else I, like I was looking at Facebook shops recently. I wish they would let you import reviews onto Facebook shops. I think they will soon. I think that's probably within the next like six months. They it's almost a, have to. It's a big hole in the like ability to shop on. Like, you know, yeah. I know we, you talked about TikTok shops recently a yeah. while ago and I was like, can you import reviews onto TikTok shops? I don't think so. You got to be able to do that. You can on Google. Yeah, every other marketplace yeah. you can. Okay, well, uh, that's crazy if the Google shopping transparency happens. I don't know how it'll work itself out. Kind of scary. Co slash price <laughs> <laughs> Great URL. Uh, okay. Next thing that I put together. So I started to think, you know, I was reading a few articles on business of fashion. And one of the punchlines of the articles was the hardest thing for any direct-to-consumer or founder-led brand today is brand awareness. 
Like it's the most costly thing on the yeah. PL. Yeah. And so I just started to think, you know, big brands like uh, Olaplex can send a million samples to Sephora yeah. and say, hey, whenever you open a shopping bag to put products in, just drop one of ours in. Allbirds can say, well, we're just going to open up retail stores across the country. And, um, you know, Loops Beauty can say, we're going to hire Emily Ratajkowski to be the face of our brand. But what do the small guys do? How do the small guys generate brand awareness? So I've got a few ideas. I'm curious about your feedback on the ideas and if okay, you have great. any ideas that come to mind. Okay. So the first one is show uh, obvious. What's up? <laughs> show <laughs> yeah, show <feels. laughs> yeah, neighborhood goods. Um, um, okay. First one is, you know, just creating a ton of organic content on platforms that have that push. So, you know, this is Reels, TikTok, and uh, YouTube Shorts. Second one is collaborating with brands where you put an insert with an offer from your brand into their package and vice versa, which I feel like, you know, HelloFresh almost has an entire ads platform and business doing this. Like, I think they charge on a CPM basis to do this for other companies. I'm shocked more people haven't done this. I don't think it's very brand dilutive. And I don't think anybody opens a package, sees, you know, if you're, if you're buying uh, Jolie and you see something for Cadence, I don't think somebody goes, wow, Jolie is cheap. Or, you know, Jolie's brand is going down. So I think that's another one. I think email swaps can be done the same way. Next one that I think is super low-hanging fruit is uh, in-person events. So, you know, Ty Haney, uh, who started Outdoor Voices, then recently started a tech company and started a company called Joggy, does this really well where she did this at OV, but now she does it with Joggy. She'll just say, hey, I'm in Chicago uh, we're all going to meet at this place and we're going to go run for an hour and it'll be an easy pace and, you know, 50 to 60 people show up. And by the end of that, there's 60 people who will post one to three pieces of content that might be, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 impressions as a result of, you know, an hour investment for a run. And, you know, running is free. Most of these events, very easy to put on. If you need product for events, most brands will just donate it because they also want, you know, product and content, yep. whatever. Next one's another kind of like low-hanging fruit is just media outreach. Uh, you know, if you craft a really good pitch and sort of include the punchline and ship it to, uh, email it to a bunch of editors and just ask them, hey, do you want samples? You have a, probably a 5% chance that somebody's going to respond and say they want it. And then maybe half of those people will be interested and one of those people will write. But that one article, you know, might generate, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 impressions, whatever it is. Totally worth it if you're doing it for free. Another one is uh, try to get placement in online marketplaces. So you don't necessarily have to sell. You don't have to uh, fulfill through the company that owns the marketplace or the, the retailer. So may maybe it's walmart.com. You don't have to fulfill it through walmart.com. Or if it's Verishop, you don't have to send your inventory to Verishop, but just have your inventory synced so that you can be listed on their site. So if people are searching for you know, a showerhead on Nordstrom, Jolie pops up, but then you still fulfill it yourself. And that can be anywhere from Verishop to Nordstrom to whatever. Another one that I've seen work really well with younger demo brands is contests. So, you know, back when we used to run contests, it was like, you know, give us your email, five brands pitch in, like, you know, the skim runs it, Hint says we're going to give a thousand bucks, Native says we're going to give, you know, deodorant for two years, and you'll get like some flight to Bermuda, all expenses paid. That doesn't really work. Uh, you know, that tends to bring like pretty shitty customers. 
but what Feastables does where they say when you buy a chocolate bar, you're entered to win a hundred grand or a Tesla or something. Prime now does the same thing and uh, it does really well. It drives a huge bump in revenue and they tend to be people who are also kind of fans of the brand as well. Second to last one is create educational content. So a lot of brands, you know, like if you're selling uh, like long weekend, we sell a face bomb. Instead of just talking about how it's going to make your face hydrated, you go deep into the ingredients of how it does that and what it does so that the other person actually understands it and feels like they're learning something that creates just a better relationship. And the last one is, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated by if you walk into Equinox the screens in the lobby of Equinox, basically they're sponsored by American Express. It's got the American Express logo at the bottom and Equinox has sort of turned their lobby or turned their, uh, you know, they're a for-profit company, but they've, they've sort of become this media platform. And I wonder if there's a way you can turn your brand into somewhat of a media property. I guess it's kind of similar to how HelloFresh has an ads business in their box, but I think there's something there where, you know, you can essentially fund impressions by, from somebody else because you have a very valuable audience in your palm. But I'm curious what you think and if you've got other ideas you'd contribute here. Uh, I love those ideas. I've got a bunch of thoughts here. Uh, one is let's start with content because that's the first thing I wrote. There's a brand called Ancient Nutrition run by a guy named Dr. Axe. And their entire business model has been we're going to create the best content in the world. And so whenever people are searching things, they're going to read about whatever their issue is on Dr. Axe or Ancient Nutrition or whatever it is. And it's a result by our products. And it's been super effective. And it's a great, like, you know, first they make like, you know, Dr. Axe is sort of like the uh, OG Andrew Huberman. Yeah, um, Dr. Oz. Yeah, the, uh, not Dr. <laughs> Oz, but Andrew Huberman. Uh, but like, you know, he was talking about, and, and you know, I'm not, I don't follow either of them well enough to understand whether they like have the same yeah, ideas, yeah. but like, you know, they'd write an article being like, if you feel bloated, here's what you should do when you feel bloated. And like, you know, they'll, then you all of a sudden they're like, okay, you read this, let's retarget you with bloating, uh, you know, supplements or something to that effect. You know, you're trying to gain what protein should you use, whey or soy, or how much should you have? They'll answer that in a really comprehensive and thoughtful way, like a really great article. And then they'll follow that up with ads to, hey, you should buy ancient nutrition protein or ancient nutrition collagen because yeah. the, we have really good products. We just don't, we don't, we have more than just really good content. We also have really good products. Yep. And so I thought they did that with um, content really well. I'm going to go through all these and then I'll tell you why I think almost all of them are really tough to do. Okay. Uh, Naked Wines does something specific. Their entire business model is we're going to put an insert into your box. They'd call up uh, Mia Native and they'd be like, hey, I'm going to pay you like an $80 CPM. Let us put your our inserts into your box. And I was like, no, we never did it. But like their CPM that they were ready to pay was insane. And their coupon, like they had a really high AOV. And the reason this worked for them was they were like the coupon would say, the, the card that you'd get would say, get $100 with the free wine. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of free wine. And then you look at the card and you go on their website and you're like, okay, my AOV has to be $200. Yeah. This is makes, uh, this makes life really tough. There's a bunch of businesses, like I think True Classics may do this. Who does this that I've recently seen? Where you, where you purchase something and they're like, here's pop-ups afterwards of like, you know, they're selling the thank you page pop-up. Oh, yeah. I think True Classics does it. I'm not yeah, positive. I just got tricked, uh, or not tricked, but I bought a second paw ramp on Alpha Paw. And they do that at the end yeah, on the thank you page? And then it was like, hey, we're going to give you right now for the next four minutes, you'll get 15% off if you buy a second ramp. Okay. Yeah. And that, that makes a ton of sense. And I love that. And do you have a dog? A taco. 
Oh, oh, in uh, in yeah, S- yeah. in uh, the Bay Area. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, they're like. Um, I guess I'm not sure if True Classics does it, but other bre- God, I can't think of who does this with me. I know I, I buy something like I have to wire. I buy something all the time, and then all of a sudden I see this, and every week I see it, I'm like upset. But now I can't think of it. But like on the thank you page, they'll be like, "Do you want a free credit report right now? Click yes." Oh, like rocked. Yeah, R-O-K-T. yeah, R O K T. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. They're so scummy, though. Yeah, that is. Uh, that's that's brand impressions. I, the email swaps thing. We, you know, I think that used to work really well. I feel like it's dead now. I I don't know if it really works right now. But if, if going to the contest. You know, I I knew a, one brand, and I'm not sure if I can say their name, so I won't. Uh, they did like a buy, you you know, win a Ford Bronco. The Ford Bronco had just come out is awesome. They're like, we have the most expensive one. We tricked it out with like, you know, we basically sent it to MTV Cribs, but for car. What was that MTV show where they fix your car and make it super nice? Yeah, Pimp My Ride. Yeah. They sent it to Pimp My Ride. It looks awesome. You can win this Ford Bronco. Give us your email address, and then they ran Facebook ads against that. Win a Ford Bronco. Win a Ford Bronco. And their their Facebook ad strategy was 50% sell this uh, product. 50% yeah. win a Ford Bronco that's been pimped out and uh, it worked really well for them. They collected millions of email addresses and they made like some of those convert. At Caskers, we did this thing where we were like, you know, Pappy Van Winkle is? I've heard it. It's this bourbon that's like impossible to get. It sells for like $300. They sell it in like November every year. There's only like 500 bottles in like the state of New York. If you go shop at Astro Wine and Spirits and you spend $50,000, they'll sell you one for $300. Hmm. And like what we did at Caskers was we were like, win a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. And people went insane for that because like it was super hard to get your hands on. And so like, you know, they'd share it and get uh, like, you know, share it with their, we're like, share it uh, with your friends and you get an entry for every time you share it with your friends as well. And so that worked out really well for us. I always thought people in the wine space should do this. Like if I was a wine, if, if I was selling wine uh, and I don't know, I'd be like, I don't know what wine, like, you know, Screaming Eagle. I think I, that's hard to get. I'd be like, win, win a bottle of Screaming Eagle. I'd find a really expensive wine or one that's really hard to get. And I'd be like, Chateau Lafitte, let me put this on and yeah. try and get somebody to buy it. I think that'd be really interesting as well. That's not as hard to do. We never ran Facebook ads against that because I didn't know anything about Facebook ads. But I think that would have been a fantastic. Look, if I, I would consider, now that I'm thinking about it, I would consider buying Caskers today just to see if I could run Facebook ads <laughs> and make that my acquisition strategy because I think it'd be that successful. Yeah. Um, Third-party retailers, I love that idea. I think Etsy is probably underused by a lot of people who are making skin and makeup. Like if I was making makeup, I would try and sell on Etsy if I was a small retailer. Um, Media outreach, great idea. Uh, You know, Ryan always says that he's able to get people to post about Jolie all the time. He's like, for every order we get, we get like half a piece of content. Like we get 0.5 content pieces. We tried that so hard at Native. I I started putting on insert cards share and tag this and enter to win a contest of like, you know, a hundred dollars Starbucks gift certificate. We're going to give this away every week. Please fucking tag us. Nobody did it. No <laughs> motherfucker did it. And I couldn't get anybody to do it. I don't know how he gets people to do it. So if he can get, if he can share that strategy, that'd be great for the life of me. I, I would have had to put in your, in the insert card, I would have put in, if you don't tag us, we're going to come to your house and beat the fuck out of you. People still wouldn't have tagged us. I don't know what it, why it was so fucking hard to do that, but I think that's really hard to do. He seems to have cracked that nut, and yeah. I wish he'd tell people how he did that, and I understand why I wouldn't. Um, but we tr- I, I tried that, and it was a huge failure. I think the media outreach... So here's why I think that things are really tough. Like um, I want all of those things to work, and to be honest, I think people have cracked those things. It's just a lot of effort. It is a lot of time. 
Ancient Nutritionist creates blog posts and they're like, we've got this down to a science. We'll look up bloating. We'll look up the top 10 articles. We'll consume all that information. We have to make something that's 50% longer and has 50% better information. Yeah. And I don't know how they measure that, but that's really impressive. I do think the contest, the email swaps, all those things are like less time and more interesting. Mm -hmm. And now that Facebook exists, you can like create funnels to drive people to give your email address for that. I think the hard part is, are those just the shittiest customers in the world or can you create flows such that they actually convert into customers later on? Cool. All right. I want to get to this last part, yes. which is, um, you know, this is somebody came to work with us. I thought we were going to work with them for sure. Then they went another direction. They worked Can you with share their, their name or you can't share their no, name? No, I don't want to share their name because okay, gotcha. we're about to work with them. <laughs> <laughs> they came back. Uh, they went to work with um, a branding agency uh, instead of working with us, which, you know, terrible idea. But they launched, didn't go as planned, and they came back. And just as I was auditing their site, you know, there was one very obvious miss that they had. And it was that they didn't have Clavio installed on the website, no pop-up, no welcome flow, nothing. And so, you know, I thought that is a very common thing for e-commerce brands to do is like, you know, if you're not a venture backed brand, if you're just launching a store, a lot of people miss having some of their email set. And I think it's, it's not realistic sometimes to say, I'm going to have every possible email flow live when I launch the brand on day one. But I think the three things you should have live is you should have a good order receipt. Like you should go into Shopify, you should customize that template. You know, native has, I think the best copy for the order receipt email. Um, you should have a good email pop-up because that's just, those are people coming to your site. You know, 10% of them are going to give you their email. If you're not capturing it, you're, you're missing out on free revenue. And the third is a good welcome series. So people put their email in. Basically what they're saying is, hey, here's my email address. I want you to pitch me why I should buy your product. The way you should think about your welcome flow is you've now been invited to pitch your product on Shark Tank, except through an email inbox. So, you know, I put together five very easy emails that somebody could put together. And I'm curious uh, at the end, if you think there's anything you'd add or modify, or if you would add any emails to this. So the first one, I call it the introduce yourself to her email. So this is, you know, you follow up to the angle that somebody came into your site from. So maybe it was from a press article, whatever the angle is that people buy your product, you focus on that. You explain who's the brand, why do people love you or what are you known for? what can somebody benefit from buying your products? And then how would somebody, you know, the way you kind of want to frame it is like, if I were to text you why you should buy Jolie, that text is the type of text you want in your first email. The second one, I call it introduce yourself to her parents. So it's much more formal. You go deeper on what makes you worthy as a brand, what makes your product special, how you're going to make somebody's life easier. If you have any studies, trials, or claims that can back up your info, and then any special ingredients to help you stand out. The third one is you highlight a product. So whatever the most hype product is when somebody searches your brand. So if somebody Googles native deodorant, what is the number one SKU that pops up? That's the one that you highlight. And uh, you want to basically show the light at the end of the tunnel. So this product is going to make you smell great, but then also back it up with the how. So a lot of people focus on the end, but then they sort of lose people because they don't include what, you know, how are you going to scientifically do this or how do I understand this in my head? And so I think your third email focuses on, on product. Your fourth email is basically highlighting social proof. So you focus on written reviews, you bold the benefits, you focus on UGC, you know, maybe some influencer posts, some TikToks, whatever. Things that sort of emphasize like you're not alone in buying this product and many other people have benefited. 
The last one is a killer offer. So this is your last chance to convert somebody. You give them a killer offer on your most well-known product. Uh, you reinforce why the product is great, what people say about it, and how it's going to benefit the customer. And if you have distribution and retail, then I think you can add a sixth email, which basically says, you know, hey, uh, you were interested in this product. Here's all the other places you can go find us. Maybe you're, you go to Target, you buy us there. You go to Nordstrom, you buy us there. Sometimes people just don't buy because they don't have the trust that, yeah. you know, you're not going to leak their credit card number or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. So uh, why did that client choose not to work with you? Sorry, that was the other follow-up. Um, essentially, they probably realized or thought, let's just say thought, not realized, because now they realize they should have. But they thought that, oh, we have a branding agency that we paid to build. You know, they said they're going to build us a site. They said they're going to do this. Let's just work with a branding agency. We don't need you guys to build yeah. us a site and yeah, do yeah. X, yeah, Y, yeah. and Z. Yeah, they don't understand that you're not a branding agency. Exactly, yeah. Okay, um, I generally agree with all those things that you said in terms of the welcome series. Um Introduce you to the person, introduce you to their family. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, the product highlight I really like. I would say that in that product highlight, I'm shocked by the number of brands where I'm like, you know, uh, I think a lot of brands go stray right there, which is what is the hot product that you, like especially new people where they're like, I'm creating an assortment of products. And I'm like, what do you want people to buy on this site? What are you really good at? Like yeah. with Native, we're like, buy deodorant. That's clearly the number one thing that we, the, that we exist for. Now I think that there's other products, but like, uh, you know, when I go to Grove, I'm like, what should I be buying here? Yeah. And like, you sell everything. Like, give me a, you know, get, this is like going to Amazon. I'm like, you know, I, there's, I need to have intent and this should be discovery. And here's the discovery. Here's the product that I should buy, which I really like. The one thing I would say is, um, you know, uh, Ryan, like last time you and I and Ryan spoke on a panel, you also mentioned how old you were. Uh, but <laughs> at that time, you, Ryan was like, we don't have a pop-up. We yeah. don't take a welcome. We don't need your email. He's, not, he's like, we're not in the business of emailing people. And I was like, you know, that was really interesting. I, I mean, look, Ryan is doing something really right. His business is on fire. So, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, one time there was a story in like the Everything Store, which is this book about Amazon. And like somebody sends an email, like a promo email through Amazon. And he gets so upset. He's like, we're never going to have to ever send a single promo email on Amazon. We never send one, the only emails we send are order confirmation and order shipping. And that's why you don't get an email from like yeah, Amazon doesn't true. send you an email saying 20% off nectar mattresses, yeah, 10% off Jolie. And think about how many emails they have. Yeah. How is it humanly possible that the largest store in the world doesn't do that? I so I think there may be some genius to this. I think I'm not smart enough to realize this, but it does make me think like, you know, when you were saying this, I was like, why is that guy not, fuck? he's not running Facebook ads and he's not creating an email pop-up and he's getting people to organically post. What is he doing? In, yeah. Like what he's utopia is he living in? Huh? <laughs> like I'm living here in America on the streets and yeah. he's living in a utopia where you don't have to collect emails. You don't have to run Facebook ads and people organically post about you. This is paradise. You, yeah. You've gone to heaven already, my friend. Yeah. And I don't understand it. Okay, we've got to wrap up in two minutes. Before we do, tell me three things that you're excited about. Three stores you're going to shop at on Black Friday. What are you waiting for Black Friday discounts? Uh, I'm definitely going to go check out Lulu. Okay. See if there's anything new there. I'm probably going to check the Hoka store, see if they've got any. Hoka's, oh, I've good. fallen in love with Hoka's. Really? Yeah, the, the most comfortable shoes. Are you wearing, wearing them now? Yeah, wearing them now. Okay. And then the third one... I'm not sure. Honestly, you know what I find on Black Friday is I feel like uh, exactly what you mentioned, how Grove, 
they sort of don't put you in a path or like put you down a slide. A lot of stores don't put you down a slide. They kind of say, Hey, come shop our whole site. And I get overwhelmed. And then I close the tab and I like last black Friday, I don't think I bought a single thing. You know, I've been like, um, looking at furniture cause I got to get some furniture for my apartment and I'll go to a website, like all these, like, you know, boutique stores that sell furniture. And I'm like, there's a thousand, 400 SKUs on this website and there's yeah. no bestseller. So I'm like, what is your best? What is everyone buying from this store? Just tell me, I'm not going to look yeah. through 4,000 SKUs on this thing. There's no way to find a bestseller. And I'm like, how could you not understand this is a product everyone loves and you don't want to sell You don't want to show it to me. What's yeah. wrong with you? It's really funny. Cause I think this might be something that's also specific to men which is like men go to a clothing brand or a furniture brand and we're like, wait a second, but is this okay? Like, <laughs> am, I, am I okay? Will I look stupid if I buy this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just tell me what your best seller is. I don't understand yeah. why it's so hard to do that. And um, I find that bananas. Okay, so Lululemon, Hoka, and what was the other one? Grove? Uh, no, not Grove. I don't know what the third one's going to be. Wow, okay. Yeah. What about you? Maybe, um, maybe Roan, actually. I think Jolie. I don't own a Jolie, and I want to see what? if he discounts uh, oh, for dude, Black let Friday. let me buy you a Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm absolutely waiting. Um, uh, 10000 although, yeah. I'm like, you know, I've been turned off by the brand a little bit in the last 12 months. Why? Um, they did this loyalty thing where they're like, Moise, you, uh, you've accumulated all these loyalty rewards points. Uh, use them, and you have, like, $50, so I was going to use them. And then they're like, oh, th this shirt... Um, we charge you more if you're using the loyalty points, basically. What? And so I was like, okay, so the loyalty points are worthless. Yeah. And so as a result, Asos. I haven't shopped there. And then there's this brand that I really like called The Big Favorite, which I don't think anyone ever shops at. I think I bought you a shirt or yeah, a pair yeah, of boxers. Great shirt. Yeah. And uh, I really like it because it's like organic clothing. And now I'm like, you know, you're all about water and I'm a little bit worried about like, you know, what are all the dyes that are on my shirt coming from? And yeah. I'm a little bit nervous. So I think those three for me. Awesome. Okay, that's a wrap for episode uh, three. Really love that, especially the Clavio 5 series. That was yeah. my favorite part about this episode. Awesome. I think on the next one, we should touch on some of the earnings that have come out, and then uh, we'll see what else we dive into. Yeah, love to. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.